Do you want to hear what the best and most influential minds in the golf and turf industry have to say on issues affecting the world of golf, turf grass, and turf equipment? That's why I'm here. Tune in as Steven Tucker takes us on a journey with some of the nation's best minds and finds out what they think. If you were looking for excitement, you have found the right place. Welcome to the Turf Addict Podcast. All right, guys, welcome to this week's podcast. A um, little different this week. I'm going to be solo. No interviews, just uh, me and a mic, and normally that isn't something I like to do. Uh, just like video. I don't, you see, I mean, I've got a couple YouTube videos out there, but normally I'm not on them. Uh, I don't know. It's just a weird thing for me. Um, normally I like to have conversations and not just talk, but. You know, I felt like uh, we're in an uh, advance week for our golf tournament coming up, and and uh, I didn't know when I was going to do the next one, and I want to start off 2020 a little bit different this year. And uh, so you guys let me know what you think. Uh, tell me it sucks. I can handle it. Or uh, or tell me you liked it, and maybe I'll do more of these. But um, I wanted to hit on a, a few topics to kind of start this year off. Um the first one being obviously the lack of technicians in the golf business. Um, obviously, we know a lot of golf courses struggle with that. Um, I kind of wanted to talk about the current technicians in the business, um, and you know, just from uh, consulting I've done over the years, and what the frame of mind seems to be, and how can we change that, and. Kind of the last thing is cutting units in general. I'm not going to go into a lot of depth because uh, John Patterson and I are going to be teaching this at GIS, but I did want to start the discussion of some things that are troublesome for our business. So um, so starting off with the obvious uh, lack of technicians in the golf business. And I think uh, normally during the winter and a little bit during the summer as well, uh, I get quite a few superintendents calling, looking for technicians, and I bet I, I've got four or five right now, some really big clubs that that are looking for equipment managers, and some great, you know, that some guys are retiring, and, and guys need to kind of come back in and fill those positions, and then there's the not-so-great ones um, that we'll discuss a little bit later on, but... The big challenge is how are we going to get more technicians in, in the golf business, and you know, I think in general, uh, times have changed quite a bit. We noticed that the golf business isn't the same as it used to be. Um, but the biggest thing is, is we don't work on vehicles with our parents anymore. Like we did, uh, probably really, I kind of ended it in that, that year, about 20 years ago or so. Um, the, the big thing is, is, you know, we used to, you know, take your car and, you know, you, you could work on it right out in the yard or your dad would show you, hey, you know, check out this or check out that. And I didn't get a lot of that growing up, but um, but I, that's that was the normal way that you kind of knew whether you were mechanically inclined or not or if you, you liked doing it or not. And so then, you know, in high school, you might would take a automotive class or something like that. It would lead you in that direction. And even in high school, I think a lot of those classes are going away. So, you know, how would someone that was coming out of high school even know that they like mechanics? How would they know that? I mean, they don't. So if they're not exposed to it, then how do we expect to ever get people to, to come in and, and uh, fill these positions? And 
So that's the first question I would pose is, you know, if, if we don't see a way to funnel these kids in and there isn't anything intriguing to them to help draw them in, then what are we going to do? And, um, you know, that, that question, you know, begs its own discussion, I think, on where, where we go from there uh, over the long term. Um, in the short term, I think, you know, the biggest things that I've found that have worked is uh, getting guys off the crew that have some sort of mechanical ability and training them. And uh, the, the big problem with that is that we wait too late to do it. We wait until someone's leaving and then we, oh, well, this guy knows how to change oil and stuff, so let's bring him in. And, and then we stick him in here with a million dollars worth of equipment and, you know, he, he, he doesn't have any kind of guidance or, or direction. Um, and, and so that's, you know, that's kind of baffling sometimes. Uh, I think for me, you know, and, you know, we can talk about labor and dollars and money and all that, all we want to, but uh, the reality is, and, and everyone says it now, is the, the importance of the technician to, uh, to the golf maintenance side of the business. And there's no doubt about it because that equipment's got to stay running. Uh, and quite frankly, you know, the best agronomy practices in the world won't change a bad cut. You know, ultimately, as equipment managers, it's our job to go out there and and put the finishing touch on on what that great agronomy looks like. And if it isn't good, then you can't show off the work you do as a superintendent. So, you know, that combination of having a good equipment manager in addition to a great agronomy program makes a big difference in how great a club can be. And so my my I guess my question is is why are we not investing more money into making sure that we have that position uh, where it needs to be? And what I mean by that isn't just paying the equipment manager what he should make. I mean there that is changing and and thank you all for that, but that was going to happen regardless because of supply and demand. The reality is is that you know you need to be training, an assistant technician to move up when your equipment manager leaves or you're going to be high and dry with a technician at some point, you know, you know, there's guys that have been, been working in the same jobs for 10, 15, 20 years. And those are, those are great, but they're going to retire and you're not going to have anyone to fill the shoes. And at some point you're going to be calling me or someone else to try to help you find a guy. So, and then I'm going to tell you, what it's going to cost, and you're going to come back and say, oh, man, there's no way we could afford to do that. And uh, so that's the unfortunate part about it. The other things, that you know, obviously, that's happening right now is the clubs that can't afford to pay more are paying more, and they're just taking uh, the medium to lower-end clubs, equipment managers, because there's some great ones out there, some guys that, you know, that learn from the bottom and work their way up and, and are getting into these positions. And there's some guys that are in high-end positions that probably shouldn't be there that, you know, there's some guys in lower end positions that do 10 times the job that some of the equipment managers at some of the hiring clubs do. Unfortunately, that's just the way it is. And, and I'll go into some of that when we start talking about uh, some other things a little bit later. But, you know, in my opinion, um, if we don't have at least an assistant technician that's working under our head equipment technician, then you're going to have a tough time uh, feeling that position when it comes available, unless you just have a lot of money to spend to, to get an equipment manager. So the, the best thing to do, in my opinion, is to find someone that 
is got some mechanical ability. And even if they're not full-time in the shop, just make it part-time. Make it, you know, a couple times a week, something, so that there is someone learning how to properly set up cutting units and, and manage a shop so that when that time comes, you have the ability to do that. You know, I have a guy that's uh, retiring um, Friday, and uh, he was in charge of our of our golf cart fleet. And, and actually, the first guy that I will have that, that's retiring. I mean, most of my guys move on to other positions, but this was a, this was a position that he was looking to retire in and, and has worked out really, really well. And, you know, I pitched to the hotel about bringing, uh, bringing someone in a couple months in advance. Cause I, you know, I get to thinking, I'm like, man, why, why don't we just, we do, we're horrible at hiring people. We wait until they leave. And then all the information that they have, all the things that, you know, hey, you need to watch out for this or, hey, you need to be careful how you talk to this person or whatever the case may be, all that information is gone as soon as that guy leaves. And so then you're asking your new employee to come in and then it's going to take him six months to a year just to learn all the stuff that he could have learned in a month from a guy that was already there. So, you know, and... It, the more I think about it, the more money it costs for him, you know, for him to try to him or her to, to try to learn that stuff. It just doesn't it doesn't make sense. So uh, we ended up hiring a guy and uh, he's been here right at two months, I think. Um, and he's learning from from our uh, technician that's been here. And so he's learning all the great things. He's learning the challenges. Um, and then he's getting to look at what we do and how we do it and figure out where he can make his mark on it without stepping on anyone's toes. And you know, the, the bad things about it is that you got two different, generally you got two different personalities working in the same space and both are going to be one's leaving and likes to do it the way he likes to do it. And the other one's coming in and he wants to change things. And, and so there's a balance to that, but, but overall it's been a great uh, situation with uh, getting this, getting this gentleman caught up to speed. So, um, I would encourage those that can to, if you know that your guy's going to be leaving, you know, why not have a week, two weeks, a month to, to spend with that person so that you can learn these things. It just makes sense to me. Um, so I, I understand the times where it, you're not as fortunate to know that someone's leaving or retiring or whatever the case may be. And you don't have that window or that time to, to have someone in, but that's where if you had an assistant technician, even if he wasn't getting the equipment manager's job, if he wasn't ready for it, uh, he would at least know how to operate, you know, run the operation and keep you afloat in the time that you are looking and not get you, you know, behind. Because for, you know, you think about it, right? If you've got one technician in the shop and he can't keep his head above water, and you know that, then if you put the new guy two, three weeks behind trying to, as you're trying to find him and you stick him in that situation and you know the last guy couldn't get caught up, what makes you think the new guy will get caught up with being in a three-month a three hole or a three-week hole or you know whatever the case may be? So, I mean, maybe he's a really, really great technician the next one you hire and he can get you caught up or something. I, you know, I don't know, but it's just, you know, you got to think about some of these things when you're doing it and set yourself up for success for the long term and not just think about today. And I think that's one of the challenges that we face as an industry is we don't see that there's a problem until it, it, it impacts us. Meaning, you know, I've been talking about the lack of equipment technicians um, since 2006 and, you know, 
in the beginning we had a couple, some ears here and there. And then, you know, obviously after the association uh, left that, what that hasn't been a premier focus, but you know, you can certainly hear it from superintendents and everybody around. So um, fixing the problem, I, I don't know what the answer is going to be to that. It's going to take some heavy, um, some heavy marketing investment in uh, getting kids that are, younger to be able to understand that this job exists and that these things are great jobs and that you don't have to go to school for six years or four years or whatever to, to do it. Um, and there's gotta be schools to teach it. And, you know, so that takes a lot of work to put all that together. I I know there's one or maybe two schools that, that have still have technician programs. And I think that's great, but you know, 10, 12, 15 students a year isn't going to fix the country's issue on a shortage of technicians. And I don't see where the new guys are coming in. So, um, so something's got to change at some point. Um, I know GCSA and I've talked with them as well about maybe uh, having a route for assistant superintendents to go equipment manager route, you know, that have interest in this business and, maybe giving them the tools to, to go that direction with superintendent positions being tough to tough to get. But, uh, and then with salaries on the rise for equipment managers, it may, it may make sense for a lot of guys to do that. So certainly encourage those assistants that maybe hear this to, to consider it, you know, as another option and spend some time in the shop, see if it's something you like to do and, and see if it's something that, uh, that you could see yourself doing in the future. But, uh, but that's my thought on the technician side of things. Um, from a consulting aspect, and, you know, <laughs> this kind of goes both ways. I, you know, sometimes I, I can certainly see the issue with having an equipment management consultant come in because I think, you know, everyone's of the opinion that, oh, you know, what am I doing wrong because you've got someone coming in. And nine times out of ten, it's never that that being the issue. It's, it's always um, – more of a manner of support, you know, what, what can you help get us to the next level or what are some things that we're not doing that you see that we could be doing or, or whatever the case may be. It's just like having an agronomist come in and, you know, kind of see things in a different way than you do because you've been at that property for a long period of time. And, and so those are normally I get that, you know, first cut that first hour that I'm with someone, it's like, you know, well, he's just trying to see what I'm doing wrong. And, and the reality is, is I am there to try to figure out how can I help you? You know, what, what things, what tools can I bring to you to help, you know, get you to the next level or to help you see things that maybe you're not seeing right now? Or are there some things you're confused about and don't understand? Is it priorities? Is it, you know, that you have issues with setting the, this particular reel up or whatever the case may be, right? That's, that's ultimately what, what it's about. And I think in the beginning it, it kind of get become standoffish. And then as we go, it, 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 cha- it changes, you know, that dynamic, they start realizing that I'm, listen, I'm just there to try to figure out how to, how to help them get what they need to do the job. But at the same time, um, figure out ways that they can, they can be more efficient or improve their situation. So, um, and the reason I, the only reason that I'm talking about that is because I also go to places where I help and, and write out things that are going to help them and I leave and they don't do any of them and don't take any of it and they're going to do it the way they've always done it. And that's just the way it is. And 
I, you know, the, the goods and bads of being a consultant are you're only as good as, as the person on the other end takes that advice or takes that information and uses it. And you can go and you can say the same things over and over and over again. I could go once a year and it could be the same speech and the same advice. And if the, the person on the other end never does any of it, well, then, I mean, I can't, how can you keep going? How can I give you advice past what, where we're at? So, you know, that's the, that's sometimes the challenge is you want to see people get better and better. And sometimes that just doesn't happen because there's no, there's no will or want to, or maybe you don't believe what it is that, that you're being told. But I will tell you this, um, there are some out there in the business that feel like that no one's complaining. So why should I do it any different than I'm doing it today? And I will tell you that that is the worst thing you could ever think. And the reason being is that there's always something that we can do better. There's always a thing that as an equipment manager, you can look at and you can say, well, you know, I could do this a little bit better or I could do that a little bit better. Um, and we always have the great excuses of, well, you know, I don't have the money that that guy has or, um, you know, I could paint the floor, but then, you know, someone's going to just drag something through it and it, so it doesn't even matter. It just peels up every year or whatever the case may be, right? Um, and I guess my point to that would be, why do we go to work every day if we're not going to be there to get better, if, I mean, what's the point of a job? If I go to that job every day and I'm just going to do things the same way I did them yesterday, if I'm not looking every day to, and this is just, maybe this is just me and please feel free to tell me or blast me or whatever on Twitter or wherever, but the, how can we go to work every day and not want to do better than we did yesterday? Because for me, that's just a waste of time. If I'm not going in tomorrow to try to figure out a better way I did it yesterday, then isn't that just the way a waste of time? I'm doing the same thing every single day. And that gets boring. I mean, doing the same thing every day is just boring. So I'm always looking for a new idea or or another way to do something or, you know, looking at Twitter and seeing guys' ideas and things that they come up with and, all right, well, that looks great and maybe I could implement some of those things, right? But... I implement those things and then how can I make it a little bit better than even that is? And, and those are the, that's the way I kind of like to work because, you know, no one's promised their job from one day to the next. And I always feel like I need to be on the edge of everything in order just to, you know, and it isn't, I guess it's probably not that way that I'm going to lose my job because I'm not on the edge, but I'll never really have to worry about that at all. If I'm just, if I am there. You know, if I'm always pushing, then the the odds that I'm not going to be employed are pretty slim. So why would I want to chance that by just getting by? And and I'm hoping that this makes sense for everybody. Um, it just, it, I don't know, I guess it just blows my mind that sometimes, you know, you go to places or you go and you talk to people and, oh, no, you know, my boss says we got the greatest cut out there and that's just, that's what we do. And, and there's... 18 better ways to do it that, that you could be looking at and, and, and trying to improve it and get it better and better and better. And we just choose to say, well, they say it's great. So why I'll just leave it that way. And, you know, I just don't see how you continue to move up with that type of mindset. Um, you know, I see guys all the time that are complaining on Facebook about, 
you know, well, I'm stuck at this job or, you know, I went and interviewed and, and, and I didn't get the job. And, you know, well, maybe it's these things, right? Maybe it's the things that we're, we're not doing. You know, we get paid. And this is, you know, I tell my guys this all the time, right? We get paid to do the job that's on our job description, right? The job description that you got when you were hired. That's what you get paid to do, okay? And if you want to make more money or if you want to move up in this business, you have to do the things that are not on the job description. You have to create value for yourself at your current employer, or you have to do more and keep creating value so that you can move up and move on to the next job. If you're sitting there just doing what your job description says to do every day, then how are you expecting someone to notice you and want to move you up? It, I just, I don't, you know, I don't see it. And, and, and the guys that want raises, right? Well, you're not doing any more than what you got paid to do when you were hired. So then what, you know, is it, is there value there and in, in me giving you an increase for doing what you were paid to do to begin with? Or is there value in having someone that's doing what they're supposed to do or what they're being paid to do? And then the guy that steps outside of that and says, ah, you know, I'd like to go out and do this or go out and do that. And, and I want to learn this agronomic side of things. So I want to take a couple classes in that, you know, that shows someone that not only cares about the operation and it, but is also looking to grow with it. And, and if not even grow with that operation is looking to expand that what they're doing. And, you know, I, I just think that it's important that we look beyond what that job description is. And I think, you know, for me, when I see the job description, this just sets the ex expectation of what the baseline is, right? This is, all right, you know, listen, if we had to write down the minimum of what we want you to do, this is, this is kind of it, right? And in saying that, there's some job descriptions out there that I look at them and I'm like, oh, and you're paying $15 an hour, and I'm thinking, there's no way, no way in the world would I ever even consider that job based on what your job description is, is saying to an applicant and then what you're, what you're going to pay that applicant. It, you know, so, so on both sides of the coin, I think, you know, there's issues with what people are paying and what their expectations are. But I think on the equipment manager's side of things too, we're not very good at getting beyond what we think we we know. And, you know, I will be the first to say that I think in the beginning of my career, I kind of had my set ways that I knew worked and I used those. And that was what kind of what I stuck with in the beginning. And then I realized, man, you know, for 40 more years, I got to do it exactly like this. This is going to be boring. I mean, how, how am I ever going to get past this job if I can't figure out how to do it better than I'm doing it today? And so, you know, I would encourage those equipment managers out there that are sitting there saying, mm, maybe that's why I'm not getting the next position or, or maybe that's why people aren't noticing what I'm doing around the club. Yeah, maybe you ought to look at, at trying to do things more than just going into work, punching the clock, doing what you got to do and getting out of there. Um, just something to consider. Um, and the last one that I'll talk about um, and I'll, I'm going to try to keep this to like 30 minutes or so, um, is the cutting units. Okay. And John, John Patterson and I, we're going to, I know we wrote that article and a lot of you have read it, um, on the levels of cutting units. And I wanted to kind of talk a little bit about a, why we wrote it, but B why it's so freaking confusing to do cutting units. Um, 
And the biggest reason that we wrote it was we sat in a class at GIS and we could have sat in that class 15 years ago and heard exactly the same thing. No evolution, no things are any different than they used to be. And we're teaching the same old stuff that we we've seen for years. And it just said, man, what are, what's going on? Why are, why are people not training on how to get, how to advance, how to get better at cutting units? What are things that, that are going to make you better at what you do? And so we said, okay, you know, listen, there, there is zero standard in this business. Meaning if you go look at Toro and you go look at Jake and you go look at John Deere, they all have different ways for you to do cutting units, right? As far as angles or as far as, you know, light contact or no contact or backlapping or whatever the case may be, everyone's kind of got a different standard Two you know, two thousandths feeler gauge to set it or to a new guy coming in this business. I would be, I wouldn't know what to do after reading and hearing all of that stuff. How would you know, or even have a clue how to do cutting units when everyone is talking differently about everything? Then you got the grinder manufacturers that have their own way to do it. So now you've got, you've got three or four grinder manufacturers. You got three or four different uh, equipment manufacturers and all of them are, are singing a different song. So now you take a one guy that just got in this business and you try to explain to him how to do cutting units and he's lost. He doesn't have a clue what in the heck's going on because the Toro guy told him this, the John Deere guy told him that, the Jake guy's saying this and his grinder company's saying something else. What is he supposed to do? He just takes all this stuff and <laughs> tries to finagle a way to do it. And that's why we're in the situation in this business that we're in where guys are so stuck on the way they do cutting units and thinking that that's the only way to do it. Because listen, you had to take this jumbled up mess that everybody's selling and you had to put it together and figure out a way to do it. How does that make any sense? How is that conducive to anyone learning how to do cutting units? It isn't. It's horrible. And as a business and trying to stick behind a standard, we haven't set a standard. So you know, when John and I were talking, we were like, listen, we need to just create something that can break down what the different things are. You know, we're not going to go in big depth of what angle this it has to be or whatever. You know, we're just going to talk about, let's just break this down into different levels so that people can get an understanding that, listen, you're here and there are steps that you can do to get better than you are today. That you, There's another level up. There's another level up. It wasn't to say, hey, you're, you're a level one, ha, ha, ha is to say, okay, I'm at level one, and hey, look, there's a level two. So maybe I need to look at level two. It, it, you know, it, just, it just frustrates the crap out of me knowing that you know, there's guys out there, and it's not just me and John. There's a lot of guys out there teaching cutting units and, and all those types of things, and it's all great, right? But we've got to get some sort of a standard. Without the standard, everyone's doing it differently, and how do you teach anyone that's doing it all over the place, that people got it all over the place, right? I mean, I will pull one example, right? And, and I'm, I'm going to use this one because it's easy. So manufacturers say that they want you to backlap cutting units, okay? And this is a big one, and I know I'll probably hear something about it, right? But they also tell you that they want you to grind a specific front face and top face angle on a bed knife, okay? And for anybody that's ever backlapped, when you put backlapping compound between the reel and the bed knife, what happens? Well the front edge wears down. So if the front edge wears down with the lapping compound, 
how are you at the angle that the manufacturer recommended? Figure that out, right? The manufacturer is recommending to lap, but they're also telling you they want you to put this specific angle on there. Well, as soon as you grind that, that cutting unit, and I know some distributors still do it, they lap mowers right after they get them and send them out to the customer. Okay, so the angle that the manufacturer asked you to put on there is gone because you just lapped it. So now the front edge isn't at the same angle it was at when when the manu- what you specified that that manufacturer specified that that angle was going to be. And this is just one example of how twisted that this stuff gets. So now you got guys out there, right, that are backlapping and trying to grind and we're selling this factory spec setup by by some manufacturer. It just it doesn't none of the stuff makes sense at all. So what I would tell you to do, if you haven't read the article, go to stephentucker.net. It's, um, it's a cutting unit article. I think it's still on the first page and, and, uh, and read it. It's uh, levels of cutting units. And whether you agree with it or not, it doesn't even, that isn't even the point, right? It's just we got to start somewhere. We got to have some sort of a standard somewhere so that when people come into this business, that they can understand the concepts behind doing cutting units and how to get better at doing them. It isn't about a marketing scheme. It isn't about, oh, well, you know, we do this and they do that. And listen, at this point, we have a hard time just keeping technicians in the business, right? So at some point, we've got to come up with a standard on how cutting units are set up so that people can actually learn the facts and not all the myths and legends and all this other stuff about how somebody did it in 1974. Listen, we're past that. This is the new age, right? We've got we've to figure out how to, how to do this the right way and how to train people how to do it that they can repeat it. You know, repeatable results is, is key in setting up cutting units. If you can't repeat the, the setup that you have from one cutting unit to the next, then that setup isn't right. So... If you're not lapping, when you're lapping a cutting unit, if you're not lapping it exactly the same amount of time and you're not putting exactly the same gap between the reel and the bed knife and the reel diameters are not exactly the same between reel to reel or the bed knife thickness is different from cutting unit to cutting unit, then that cutting unit does not match the other one. So your green speed from green to green is going to be different regardless of setting the same height of cut because they're different. It's just the way it is. It's, I mean, and, and, you know, for those of you that, that are at the golf industry show, you know, come by, see our, our seminar. I think it's on Monday, I believe. Um, it's a free one. So uh, we'll look forward to seeing you there. But, you know, it, we'll go through some of these cutting unit things and theories and, and really talk about the facts uh, behind setting up cutting units and things that we've noticed over the years. But listen, guys, at the end of the day, no one's here to tell you what you have to do to set up cutting units, okay? I'm not, I'm not saying, all right, if you don't do it this way, it's not going to work. But what I am saying is, is we've got way too many, too many ways or too many things that it makes it very difficult for a new guy in this business to learn and understand more so about what he's doing when things are all over the place. So we've got to come up with some sort of standards to, to set. So... Um, I promised 30 minutes, and I think I'm at like 32 minutes, so uh, I apologize for that. But um, I just I thought these were some, some good things to kind of start 2020 off with. Um, like I said, I'm in advance week this week for our, our tournament, the Diamond Resorts uh, Tournament of Champions. So look forward to watching that on, 
on TV. And um, uh, hopefully, and you know, if we aren't behind or something like that, I may try to uh, get a couple of the guys that are in the shop to jump on a podcast and maybe interview them while they're there and talk about their experiences at our facility. But we'll see how it goes. Um, thanks again for supporting last year's podcasts and I hope you enjoy this one. Um, like I said, give me feedback. Um, you can, you can, it's pretty much everywhere now. I think this year I tried to get the podcast on more platforms so that more people could, could get to it. So again, let me know what you think and uh, I appreciate it. And, uh, I wish you guys the best for, uh, 2020 and, uh, have a good one.